All right, let me just reposition this here. Let's talk about parenting the heart. There is a worksheet in your download. You can go to that now. And our session one is called, You Can't Skip This Step. Because you can't skip this step. The premise of this series is really simple. We need wisdom, and the scriptures have wisdom. That's the abiding premise of this series. We need wisdom, and the scriptures have it. And we all go for all other, you know, we get answers in many different places in life for many different people and sources. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But without the wisdom of scripture, we don't necessarily know what to do with all that information because sometimes it contradicts itself. Sometimes it's just wrong. It's proven long, wrong sometimes decades later. And other times it just doesn't seem right in our gut. Scripture is key. And within the Bible, there's one book in particular that is loaded with wisdom, and it is the Proverbs. I had this really cool chart, but I couldn't figure out how to share it with you. And it's just a line chart that shows the usage of the word wise or wisdom. And it kind of goes up a little bit in Job and Ecclesiastes, and then it jumps way up in the book of Proverbs. 103 times that word or words are used, wise or wisdom, 103 at least in every chapter, it's used at least once, and there's 31 chapters. It is the theme of Job. It is what you need as a parent. It is what you need as a child. It is what we all need. And it is what the Bible, and particularly the book of Proverbs, actually does give us. So just think for a minute about the different situations you might face. As a parent, maybe your two-year-old has got the marker, and they're drawn on the wall again. And it's not the first time or the second or the third. And you've done everything you know how to do. What are you going to do? You walk into your daughter's room. You're going to put her to sleep and she's crying. And you ask her what's wrong. And she says, I'm worried that you're going to die from the virus. You've never talked to her about death before. What are you going to say? The teenager is feeling increasingly anxious and isolated. You don't see that much and you're worried about how they're spending their time. How do you approach them? Or what about you as individuals? Maybe you've been dipping your toe in the waters of greed. And you're thinking maybe now is the time in life to just go for it and make as much money as I possibly can because I never seem to have enough and I always need more. What will you do? We need wisdom and the Bible gives it. Jesus said this. It sounds like he's describing Pittsburgh a little bit here. In Matthew 7, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, right? Wise, who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. The wise man, there's an old kid song, it says, build his house on the rock. Build your house on the rock. Wisdom is picked up in two ways, first by hearing, and then by doing. Though this morning, you're being the phase one, you're going to be in the hearing, in the listening phase. 
It will come to nothing if it doesn't turn into doing. Because Jesus said this, though. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So I am not presenting my life to you as a model of parenting. I'm not here giving you the Peter Dorfler method of parenting. I'm going to do my best to present to you the wisdom of God's word because he is our parent. And so he's desiring and he is, in fact, parenting the hearts of his children. And if you're a parent and you're joining today, he's also given you wisdom in how to parent well your child. Let's read from Proverbs 1. We'll go look at the first seven verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Equity means fairness. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would speak through me to your people this morning. Lord, help us not to simply hear, but to do. To not simply listen, but to believe in our hearts and let that truth become action. Help us to change. Help us to understand. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. So I want to briefly look at verses 2 to 6, and then we're going to spend the lion's share of our time in verse 7. The book of Proverbs is, just by way of background, right, primarily credited to King Solomon. Solomon was an ancient king of Israel, lived around 900 B.C. His dad was David. Solomon is famous for asking for wisdom, receiving wisdom, and then not really living a wise life. So let's not do that today. Let's learn, uh, not just from Solomon, but from God speaking through him and actually live wise lives. Look at what's promised. Verses 2 to 5 is kind of like the back of a book jacket where it says all the great things that are happening in this book. Look at, just scan through it here. Uh, go back a slide or two. Go to slide uh, where it shows verse like 2 and 3. Keep going. Go, go, go. Yeah, one more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Verse 2. Look, it says you're going to get wisdom. You're going to get instruction. You're going to understand words of insight. Next slide. Um, you're going to receive instruction in wise dealing. That means you're going to know how to make prudent decisions. Decisions that are right, that are righteous, so before God. But they're also just. They're fair before other people. Parents, we need this kind of insight, don't we? We're always wondering if what we're doing is sort of fair or equitable. Uh, who's it for? Who are the Proverbs for? Well, verse 4, it says to give prudence to the simple. So it's for knuckleheads. Proverbs is great. If you're a knucklehead, this book is for you. 
What if you're, um, you know, really just kind of young? Well, it says it gives knowledge to the youth. So if you can read, Proverbs is for you. But what if you're old? Look at verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Proverbs is for wise people to become wiser. You never outgrow Proverbs. It's for the one who understands to obtain, that is to get, guidance. The reason we never outgrow Proverbs is because it's God's wisdom to us, and you simply can't outgrow God's wisdom. I'm just trying to make a case for you to trust the book of Proverbs to give you wisdom in life as a parent, as an individual, to be your source book in some very profound way for listening to the Lord. Proverbs moves from the abstract to the practical, back and forth, back and forth, because life is both sometimes lived very inwardly and abstractly, but also outwardly. We have to make decisions. We can't think about things forever. So how do you start? Where is the beginning of wisdom? How do we start this journey of parenting the heart? What does our father begin with us? Verse 7 is where we're going to be. And here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So the fear of the Lord, whatever that is, and we're going to explain that, we're going to look at that today, is the starting point. It is the beginning of knowledge. Another psalm has this exact phrase, but it says it is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So don't be a fool. Hunger for it. So I'm going to take you through this. One, we're going to look at where we usually go for answers. Two, we're going to explain, I'm going to explain why the fear of the Lord is like a butterfly and it's like the alphabet. And then three, I'm going to close with very concrete applications. We're building here. We're just starting. I can't give you everything in the first session. Otherwise, we'd be here a long time. You'd be online looking at, you know, buying shoes before I know it. So number one, where do you go for answers? So go back to the illustration. You walk into your daughter's room or your son's room, and they're kind of teary-eyed. You're about to kiss them goodnight, and you ask them what's wrong. And they tell you, I'm afraid that you're going to die from the virus. Let's just say you've never really had much reason to talk about death with your child before. What are you going to say? How are you going to approach these points in parenthood or in life when you don't know what to do? Well, three common places we go, and we often are biased toward one of them, is sometimes we go to the network of our peers. We go to our friends. You might say something like, oh, well, blah, 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 and I'll want to talk to you more about it tomorrow. Buy a little time. That's a classic parent strategy. Buy time. And so then what do you do? Well, you maybe you text your friends. Maybe you post, quote, hypothetical situations on Facebook, and you sort of see what wisdom you can gather from the, the hive mind, right? And now, you know not everybody is worth listening to, but even a, a blind squirrel, they say, can find enough. So you don't want to just, you know, you throw it out pretty widely, you cast it out there and you see what your friends have to say. You, that's how you typically approach problems 
you don't know what to do with it. Others of you are more family-based. Pittsburgh, very family-based city. A lot of you live near some of your relations. It's very natural for you to not so much ask everyone else. You just, you just want to know kind of how your family has handled it in the past. Your working assumption is this. Hey, I turned out okay. Whatever my parents did must have been good enough. So I just need to know what they did, and I'll do that to my kid. I won't go into the flaws in that. I think they're kind of obvious. But a lot of us do that. We look at ourselves, we go, ah, we made it. But just need it. And so you end up asking your parents, hey, did I ever, you know, crash the car when you weren't around? Did I ever, you know, ask you about death when I was a kid? What did you tell me? You know, you trust family traditions. And then the third common path is this. Um, you don't care about your family too much or your friends. You want to know what people who've done actual research have learned. You trust research. You trust people who've taken the time to gather data and understand it and study it. And you go to experts and authors, and so you Google in, how do I talk to my child about death? And you look for reputable sites, and you look for good answers, and you go from there. We all do these things. Frankly, we all should do these things. It'd be foolish to ignore the wisdom of other people. The problem is if they're the primary way you get answers, you're skipping the first step. And the first step, the beginning of it all, is not go ask your friends or family. The beginning of it all is the fear of the Lord. Notice the logic again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You can't skip this point. It's like trying to build Legos and just look at the picture on the box. You can try to build that fighter jet, but it's not going to be right. You've got to go to the instructions because the first blocks are not going to be the ones they think you are. You're going to have to look to see what does it tell you, what are the first pieces you need to lay down because you won't see them on the cover. In the same way, you may not think to yourself, well, the fear of the Lord, what does that have to do with parenting or living my life before God? And the Bible's just being as clear as it can be here. It is the beginning. All right, so what is it? What is it? I want to credit Bruce Walkey. He's written a great commentary on Proverbs. I'll say great so far. I've only read the beginning, but I know I can trust Bruce. He's an amazing Old Testament scholar. And he said the fear of the Lord is like butterflies, and it's like alphabets. All right, how is the fear of the Lord like butterflies? Well, let's say you'd never seen a butterfly. But you had seen butter, and you had seen flies. And I asked you, what's a butterfly? Well, you might think, well, it's either a fly who likes butter, or a butter that's learned how to fly. The second doesn't seem very plausible, so you're going to go with the first. Sadly, you'd be wrong either way. You can't define butterfly by taking those two words and sticking them together, can you? You can't understand the fear of the Lord by just looking at the word fear and looking at the word Lord and sticking them together. Because if you do, you'll actually get it completely wrong. It'll actually go the wrong direction. Example, I am afraid of heights. I have a fear of heights. I also have a mild fear of birds. I practice social distancing around all the birds. So the worst case scenario for me is being dropped on top of a skyscraper or covered with pigeons. That would be absolutely terrifying. But because of my fear of heights, I avoid heights. But the Bible says the fear of the Lord doesn't make us avoid the Lord. It actually brings us to the Lord. 
It's the opposite of the fear of everything else. How do I know this? Am I just making this up? I know it because if you go to the origin of the idea, Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13, it starts to be elaborated and explained. It's put in context. Moses has just reminded the Israelites God had brought them out of Egypt. He delivered them from Pharaoh. He'd given them the Ten Commandments. And now he tells them how they need to respond. Look at what he says. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? Now that is like the headline. That's the main point. Here come the subpoints: To walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. So he says, you need to fear the Lord, but does he say, therefore be very afraid of him because he's a scary guy? No, he says, this is what the fear of the Lord is. Walk in his ways. Love him. Trust him. He has given you commands today for your good. So the fear of the Lord has nothing to do with avoiding a scary God, even though they knew God was just and he would punish sin. He is capable of wrath. That was not the essence of this idea. The essence of this idea was this. The fear of the Lord means to have a right relationship with God. I want you to take that idea and plant it in your head because that is the beginning of wisdom. It is what God summons of us, all parenting, from God the Father to his children, from you to your children, has to have at its core a relationship. And at the end, we're going to talk about how to keep building that relationship upward and horizontally with God and with our kids. And the beautiful thing is because a relationship is just a relationship, the same things that sort of work with God work with our kids because they're both relationships. Do you have a relationship with the Father? God is the maker of our hearts. He's the maker of your kids' hearts. And he has put your children, if you have any, with you on purpose. You might think, no, nah, I think he got one of them wrong in the wrong family. I think I need to do a trade with the neighbor. No, 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 no. You got to trust the father that he got it right. How is it like an alphabet? The fear of the Lord is like an alphabet. You learn the alphabet in kindergarten. We used to have this little thing called leapfrog on our fridge, and our kids would play with it and use it, and, and you would take plastic letters and put them in the machine, and it would sing a little song to you. Then you might pick up the letter A and put it in the machine, and it would say, every letter makes a sound. A says A. And A, ah, because A makes two sounds. That was always a fun surprise, how many sounds it would make. Uh, but my boys now know, they know how to read and write. They don't go back to reviewing the alphabet ever. But what would happen if one morning they woke up 
and they completely lost all their knowledge of the alphabet. They picked up a book and it was just a jumble of symbols. They go to write something and they realize they have no idea how to translate the thoughts in their head to paper. Well, they would have to go back to leapfrog, wouldn't they? Learn their letters all over again. The fear of the Lord is like the alphabet because we don't just have a relationship with God and then discard it as a relic of our childhood. Leave it behind and just soak up all the wisdom of the world and never come back to it. The wisdom, the fear of the Lord is like the alphabet because it's the foundation and we build up from it. And if you ever pull it away, things start to topple and to tumble. And so it is the platform on which we build. It is the rock, Jesus says, that you build your family, your house, and your own heart upon. So do you have a right relationship with God? Do your children have a right relationship with God? It is a vital question because if you do, you're on the first pathway to the wisdom and knowledge that you need. And if you don't, you're going to be way off after a while. You're going to be way off and you need it because the Bible says this about our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things. That's not good, is it? It says it's a deceitful thing, this heart. And whenever the Bible says heart, it's talking about all of us, like our thoughts, our minds, our emotions. Like it's all wrapped up in that one word. It says it's deceitful. We can't trust ourselves at times. It says that the heart is desperately sick. But Jesus has the cure for the sick heart. Ecclesiastes says the hearts of the children are full of what? Not full of knowledge. It says they're full of evil. And madness is in their hearts. But God doesn't leave us with a sick, mad, evil heart. The gospel declares that we are not healed at the foot of Mount Sinai and follow the Ten Commandments and live perfect lives. Moses came to give us the law so that we could see how sick and deceitful our hearts are. Go ahead. Try to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly in your heart and in your actions. You'll see it within three days, maybe sooner. God sends us Jesus Christ, who comes as the word of God made flesh to reconcile us to the Father. And so a right relationship with God works by faith through Jesus Christ. And then look at the language it talks about our hearts. It says he cleanses our heart. He wipes our hearts clean. The Bible says he gives us a new heart. He gives us a heart of flesh, the language is, not a heart of stone. And it says that his words, his law, are now written on our hearts. And that's why the fear of the Lord and right relationship with God that knows God and loves God and trusts God and recognizes God is a God of wrath too. We don't want to be on God's, if you will, wrathful side. It says, Jesus Christ, I need you as my Savior. Come in. And then Jesus does the heart surgery that you can't do on yourself because in your own power, you're powerless to change your heart. So, let's close with some concrete steps. We're about at time. I'm going to give you an acronym because I love a good acronym. I love good pizza. I love good kiwis. I love good football. And I love good acronyms. Here's my acronym. Go West. Go West. In the mid-1800s, the East Coast was getting filled with factory jobs and crowded apartments. 
And there were a number of columnists who were urging, particularly the younger people, to go west, the land of opportunity. I'm not urging you to actually go west. I'm from New Jersey, we're in Pittsburgh, I kind of like the east, but here's what it means. This is gonna be where we start and build from this, because you might think, all right, I need the fear of the Lord, or you might think, I do, I have a right relationship with God. What do I do? What are my concrete takeaways? Here's how I'm gonna use this acronym. W stands for words of truth, okay? Words of truth, as the Father, parents your heart, he has given you words of truth, especially in the Gospels of Jesus Christ, but in all the pages of Scripture. Our focus will be on Proverbs, words of truth. E stands for expressions of love. Jesus Christ is the greatest expression of love for us, right? But how often are you expressing your love to, if you have children, your children? How often do they hear from your mouth, I love you, and I'm going to tell you why? Go ahead, tell them till they get squirmy and uncomfortable. It'll take about 15 seconds probably. They need to hear from us, not just an occasional, hey, I love you, good night. But I'm going to tell you how much I love you. S stands for specific prayers. Did you know the Spirit intercedes for us? In our relationship to God, in some ways, the Spirit is directing prayers and we if we're uh, whether we're parents adults kids we have to pray specific prayers Jamie's going to share briefly about that at the end which we're almost at and then the last thing is T T will happen if W E and S happen T stands for time together parents if you're a parent out there listening, I know this is a tricky one. You have other obligations. You can't spend all your time with your children, nor should you. So evaluate it and decide in your heart, and maybe just ask your kids, do you see me enough? Do you want me to spend more time with you? Now, if they're teenagers, you know, they might just be like, no. <laughs> I want the opposite of that. <laughs> You might have to go, the, you might have to tact in the opposite direction and sort of intrude in their life so that they know you love them even if they want you to kind of stay away a little bit. Because before you know it, they're going to be gone, right? Parenting is a part-time job. It's temporary. It ends. So you've got to make the most of it. You've got to seize it. I want to encourage you to seize it today. So I want to encourage you to pick one of those letters. That was the last thing on the sheet, on the worksheet. Pick a letter. I want you to think about it with relationship to God. Words of truth, expressions of love, specific prayers, time together. And then I want you to think about it if you have children with respect to your children. I want you to pick one letter this week and say, I want to dig deeper. I want to grow on wisdom on how to speak words of truth to my kid. I've been avoiding telling them things that I think I should. Or I've been neglectful. I don't want to do that anymore. Or I want to express my love to them in different ways than I have before. I want them to know, no matter what they do, I love them. Because, friends, at the essence of relationship is love. And if it's, a, if it's not there, the relationship isn't there. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's time together. I want you to pick one. And I want you to do your best to ask the Lord to give you the strength to grow in that area. And then the week after, pick another one. And just start moving through these themes. 
W-E-S-T. Go west with your kids. Go west with the Lord. Jamie, come on up. I've asked her to share briefly on the letter S, specific prayer, something that she's done in her life. And then we're going to close with a final song, Behold Our God. Um, I've shared this with some of the women before as well, so I apologize if you've already heard this. But uh, I have a very no-nonsense personality, so when my kids were young, the way I would discipline was just nip everything in the bud immediately. No, we do not hit anybody, period. You know, just address it very straightforward. Um, and that worked great when they were little. Um, that was sort of all you had to do is just correct it, have a consequence, move on. But as they grow up, of course, and they have abstract thinking and the uh, behaviors are much more complicated. And as you're aware that you're actually trying not to just parent for good behavior, but that you ultimately want your children to have a relationship with the Lord um, that has to look different. And though my tendency might still be to be very straightforward and at this age, it might look like lecturing. Here's what you've done wrong. Here's why it's wrong. Here's what you should do instead. <coughs> Excuse me. But a couple of years ago when Peter and I attended a church planning training, there was a man who um, was speaking about the Paul Miller book of Praying Life, and he was sharing how prayer is a parenting technique. He shared about how he had a teenage son who was um, out with friends doing things that he just like his dad radar went off and he knew something wasn't quite right, but he didn't know what it was. But rather than just immediately um, addressing it with his son, he took time, and I don't know if it was days or weeks or what, but to pray about it and say, Lord, you know what's going on. I don't know what it is, but if something is bad that's happening, would you please intervene? And he saw the Lord directly answer that prayer. And so I came home from that conference and started applying that, not just to my lives with my children, but even all close relationships where there was a conflict. Instead of um, sort of trying to be the Holy Spirit in their life, trying to convince them of something they've done wrong and tell them what they should do differently, I started to just take it to the Lord more specifically um, and cry out to him and say, you know exactly what's going on in their heart. I just have suspicions. You know, you love them even more than I do. Your spirit is far more effective than my lecture would be. So would you please do your work, Holy Spirit, in their life? And I also saw those prayers answered in a very direct way that has been so encouraging that it sort of um, taught me to shift from only me-focused ways of thinking about how to parent my children to God-focused ways. Thank you, Jamie. And uh, <clears throat> let's just ask the Lord to take these truths in. And again, if you're with us and you're not a parent, there's so much here for all of us. This isn't just about parenting. It's about the Lord parenting our hearts, too. Um, so don't feel like this isn't for you. It is. Seek his words of truth. Come to his expressions of love. Pray for others. Pray for your own heart in specific ways. And when you do that, you will have taken time. Uh, so let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we uh, engage on this journey together to grow in wisdom and instruction, to leave foolish ways behind us and walk the path of truth. Lord, your spirit needs to parent all of our hearts. You're the Father in heaven. We're little kids. We're going to get it wrong. Lord, give us the strength to go on and pick up, to see things more clearly. Lord, to understand uh, the hearts of ourselves and the hearts of our children. Lord, uh, we ask that you would uh, lead us out today with great hope. And Lord, with a plan um, to be willing to change and to grow according to your will. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing now, Behold Our God. <laughs>